and welcome to Best of Shows, a weekly conversation about the biggest things happening on the small screen and a guide to what TV is and is not worth your time. I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic and Entertainment Weekly, and I'm joined by my fellow EW critic and TV junkie, Darren Franich. And Darren, it's exciting. Today you get to talk to one of your favorite TV stars. Kristen, I am so excited. Uh, I am going to be speaking to America Ferreira today, talking about her work on uh, the fantastic NBC series Superstore. I'm very stoked to chat a bit with her uh, about a sitcom that, uh, you know, it's in its fourth season, and I really think it keeps on uh, getting better. Uh, and and uh, that's just, uh, I, I, I think that's that by itself is always something that I love. And she's been uh, especially great on this season. So very excited to chat with her. More excited about chatting with her than I am about chatting about some of the shows we're talking about today. But uh, that's, <laughs> that's why we are, we are constructing this show on a nice incline towards yes, greatness. Yes, toward greatness. For a second, I thought you were going to say you were more excited about chatting with her than you were about chatting with me. And no, my feelings no, were gonna be impossible, <laughs> impossible, impossible, impossible. And also like your perfect professionally obligated to chat with me so <laughs> you gotta like it i'd be i'd be chatting with you even if there was no microphone around Kristen. Oh, our, our 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 uh, robert caro length uh, slack chats are uh, <laughs> much evidence of that they, true, they are true they will someday uh compile that into a power broker length uh length tome they'll be assigning that to to journalism students for the next 30 years <laughs> the power broker is a great book by the way uh, uh, it's, it's funny you mention that, Kristen. I, I'm actually, I'm actually trying this go around to read and finish the Power Broker. You've never I, finished I've, the Power Broker somehow, because I've read all four of Robert Caro's Lyndon Johnson books, okay. and somehow the Power Broker, which is almost the more obvious one to start with, because there's only one of them. I've never actually finished it before, so it's 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 an embarrassment. I know. How have you even spoken to me? Uh, uh, I don't before? know, <laughs> and I'm not really sure how we got on this subject. So apologies to anyone who tuned in to listen to us talk about TV. Uh, <laughs> Which, but but Kristen, somewhere out there, Robert Caro is is listening to this and is like, okay, all right, <laughs> finally getting to the good stuff. Is here. he though? Because you know how Conan O'Brien has been desperate to book him for years, and he just won't go. So <laughs> he, he's he's too busy. He's, he's too, too busy. busy. He's got books to write. So anyway, let's we will be talking about TV this week, and uh, we'll kick things off with our what's new segment, in which Darren and I talk about this week's most notable new and returning show premieres. So this Sunday, April second. The second season of Killing Eve will premiere on BBC America. Developed by writer-actress wonderkind Phoebe Waller-Bridge and based on the novellas by Luke Jennings, season one of Killing Eve was phenomenal, and it offered a sharp, clever, and decidedly female twist on the spy thriller genre. Former Grey's Anatomy star Sandra Oh earned a Golden Globe and a raft of other much-deserved nominations for her brusque brilliance as Eve, an MI6 officer who becomes obsessed with a female assassin named Villanelle, played by Jodie Comer, who is also brilliant. This season, season two, the action picks up just 30 seconds after last May's finale. And warning, we're about to reveal some 10-month-old spoilers, folks. Uh, season two of Killing Eve begins with everyone more or less in a holding pattern. After stabbing Villanelle, a shell-shocked Eve must shake off her haze and resume the search for the escaped assassin. And Villanelle must now find a way to stay out of reach long enough to recuperate. So, Darren, BBC America only gave us two episodes to review, so it's not... Bad idea. I know, it's not a lot to go on. Here's my take. There are f some great moments in the two episodes, including Villanelle's sibling-esque relationship with a French boy she meets in the hospital, but there are also some worrisome problems. Episode two, in particular, features one of those awkward TV contrivances that is clearly painfully designed to keep a character in one place... Think Kim Bauer in The Cougar Trap on 24. So this was one of my favorite shows of 2018. And so maybe I'm being a little harder on it than I would, you know, a new show. I'm going to stick with it and hope that the new showrunner, Emerald Fennell, and her team can get things back on track. But what are your thoughts on the first two episodes, Darren? Well, Kristen, uh, I had uh, been on vacation last week and uh, had been sort of purposefully not reading or experiencing too much uh, television because, you know, I can do that, uh, you know, since I, since I do that literally for work, it seems yes. like when I'm on vacation, I should be paying attention to the outside world and sure. loved ones and, you sure. know, all that junk. Um, but I have to say, the first kind of piece of pop culture anything that I read upon my return was your review of Killing Eve. And in that review, you mentioned something happening that reminded you of Kim's Cougar 
trap from 24, <laughs> as you just mentioned now. And I have to say that that got me a little nervous. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I kind of agree that there are some worrisome patterns happening um, in uh, certainly in, in the season premiere. Um, I, I sort of think that the decision to start 30 seconds later as the gigantic font on screen at the beginning of the premiere informs us. I, I worry that might have just been a, a sort of wrong move because mm-hmm. it does sort of force um, the characters. They have really literally not moved from when we last saw them. And that feeling kind of extends even as the show continues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found myself wondering if, you know, I, I try not to be too prescriptive as a critic, but I did wonder, like, you know, the show seems to be moving towards a new normal in its premiere. And I kind of was wondering, like, couldn't we have just started there? Right. Uh, you know, you sort of have this sense of everyone is sort of moving back towards a new mission statement. Uh, you know, there's a moment in, in, in the premiere when Eve's boss says, uh, you know, you have to find Villanelle. And that is obviously the mission of the season. And we could have known that. And why does that only come about at the end of the first episode? Um, I, I, I was sort of wondering if it is just a matter of, you know, the loss of Phoebe Waller-Bridge behind the scenes. She was, of course, such a key component of the first season's perfect mixture of, you know, assassin, neo-Cold War uh, thrills and this incredible sense of style. Mm-hmm. But a lot, some of that is still there. You sort of mentioned that um, in the premiere, Villanelle, through a variety of ways that I, I won't go into, she befriends a young French boy. And like that relationship had some of the sort of dark comedy of the first season that yeah. I really did enjoy. Um, how did you kind of, how, how do you feel in general about you know, it's funny how this show is coming out right as Barry season two is starting. Yes. Um, you sort of compared your reactions to season two of Barry to season two of Killing Eve. And the, although they're different shows, they're both assassin shows. And they're both shows that I think a lot of viewers who loved the first season almost had the reaction of like that maybe should only be the only season <laughs> like exactly like, do you sort of feel like is is one or the other kind of doing better so far at at, at justifying uh, continuing the, the story yeah it's interesting because i had the same concerns with with barry like oh this ending is so perfect for season one it's really bleak but it's perfect and maybe they should just let it lie uh and so then they sent us the first three episodes of Barry, and I think you, you know, you explained it correctly in your review. There's some a couple things where it's it's clearly like they're working out what to do. We're getting more of every character, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But overall, I felt that the first three episodes of Barry were really strong, and I'm excited to see more. And that isn't to say that Killing Eve is, you know, a bad show. Now it's just that it's it's really. It's only an eight episode series this season. So to do a slow burn for the first two episodes is yeah. a, is an unusual choice. And I am a little concerned that things feel like they're starting to repeat itself a little bit. Like, yeah. and, and that doesn't mean that they can't write the ship. And I don't want to place all the blame or say, oh, well, Emerald Fennel, the new showrunner, clearly dropped the ball because we don't know how this is going to play out. And I asked BBC America, I was like, can I please have a few more episodes before I write my review? And whatever reason, probably spoilers, they just want to put those first two out. And there are some really funny moments. Fiona Shaw, who plays uh, Eve's boss, Carolyn is hilarious. She at one point starts talking about her moisturizer, which is made a pig placenta. Um, It's incredible. Uh, And I do think there's a lot there to enjoy. I just hope that they figure out uh, the focus quickly and get, you know, get get the energy back, because right now it feels a little holding pattern, as I said. Um, You know, that said, it's still a you know a B episode of Killing Eve is still better than an A plus plus episode of like NCIS Los Angeles. So, <laughs> Kristen, how dare you? Kristen Bottle <laughs> is a national treasure, and LL Cool J's Henleys are I enjoy uh, the LL kind of cool fashion. That... <laughs> I enjoy him. Ladies love but him, but I, but I don't no, want to watch I... the show. I, I, I do think that I, I think you've pretty well summed it up. My concern, I think in general with what I've seen, is that season one was like truly twisted television in a way that was just really enthralling. There's just a few bits of season two that almost feel a little wacky. And yeah. there's kind of a, there's, there's a subtle difference and, you know, there's a whole thing where Villanelle needs to get new clothes and she winds up wearing really comical pajamas. And it just feels a little too 
too much on the side of uh, being cartoony. And, you know, I, I think it's a it's just so difficult because I do think that Killing Eve's first season, it was such a no guts, no glory kind of modern day TV show. Yeah. Where it was trying to do so many things and was really succeeding at, at all of them for the vast majority of its running time. And yeah, you, you feel like season two is trying to kind of simultaneously repeat some of those beats um, while also try to kind of push its characters forward a, a little bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they kind of uh, figure out the mix uh, a, a little more going forward. And it'll be interesting to see, maybe I'm in the minority, but that that episode two plot line with Villanelle, like, you know, she needs to be in one place, keep her out of Eve's way, you know, so that they can move the story forward without Eve just catching her right away. But I mean... I don't know that that whole contrivance they come up with. It's yeah. it's better than the cougar trap for sure, but it is like. But see, in a way, Kristen, I I, I almost wonder because there there's a certain genius to the cougar trap because it's so bad <laughs> that it actually becomes more memorable than everything else that happened yes. in that season of Twenty Four. So, uh, but yeah, I I, I think it, I think it's tough when you're making a momentum show. Yes, I, I I think that you have to really think hard about if you find yourself getting to the moment where you're saying, "What do we do with character X while character Y is doing this?" That's kind of where the where the problems tend to come up. I think. Yeah, and if by the way, if you never uh witnessed the the glory that is kim bauer getting caught in a cougar trap so that they could keep her in one place just google kim bauer cougar trap 24 you'll find the clip you will never forget it um do you remember what happened after the cougar attacked her Kristen? did she then fall in with like or are you thinking about when Terry Jack Bauer's wife fell down the hill and got amnesia? Oh, 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 oh. well, well, she she got amnesia. That, that that is that is arguably that is arguably like way crazier than the cougar yes. trap. She she didn't even fall down the hill. She was just really shocked because she thought uh, someone had died, and the the, the the shock of that led her to uh, three hours of amnesia. Sure, um, sure. No, uh, after Kim was attacked by the cougar, she fell in with a survivalist played by Kevin Dillon, and he oh, then tried to yes. imprison her by telling her that a nuclear bomb. Had gone off. Isn't that oh, the plot of the um, the the sequel to the Cloverfield? Yes, uh, it, it is. Except, uh, spoiler alert: uh, more few few more aliens in the uh, Cloverfield sequel. Although, God, if, if only the aliens had attacked Kevin Dillon's house, that would have been great. Right. Uh, we we've gone off track. We've again really a little gone bit. off track because uh, we only have two episodes of Killing Eve to discuss. That exactly. said, it's still a great show. Watch season one. You can watch it on Hulu. You can obviously watch it on BBC America and their apps. Uh, season two of Killing Eve premieres Sunday, April 7th at 8 p.m. on BBC America, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it, too. Uh, here's a show that I'm not going to stick with, though, Kristen. <laughs> uh, the Twilight Zone franchise is a, the kind of small screen iconic piece of culture that almost seems to be larger than television itself or is just is so defining about what people think about television uh, the original series of course debuted way back in 1959 before Miley Cyrus was alive mm -hmm. before Billy Ray Cyrus was alive um, and is justly considered one of the most influential TV series in the history of the medium uh, there has been a Twilight Zone movie uh, which was like half good Good and half terrible. Uh, there was a Twilight Zone in the 80s that a lot of people really love. There was a Twilight Zone on UPN uh, that a lot of people have kind of forgotten about. Uh, and now we have the new Twilight Zone debuting on CBS All Access on April 1st. April 1st, I would say, uh, a surprisingly good release date for this show because Kristen, despite the presence of a lot of very talented people and very exciting actors on screen, the new Twilight Zone is a calamity. Uh, CBS All Access released four episodes for us to look at. Uh, two of them I would describe as uh, entirely awful, um, and a couple of them uh, have uh, pretty solid performances that are really, really struggling to kind of find a center in storylines and very off dialogue and simultaneously on-the-nose themes that don't quite connect. Um, I, Kristen, this is a bit of a disappointment for sure. Uh, the One of the uh, key executive producers in this Survival is Jordan Peele, the filmmaker who made the phenomenal Get Out, and of course uh, just recently released Us, uh, the very entertaining horror movie uh, in which Lupita Nyong'o talks to Lupita Nyong'o, and it's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> um, I I'm really hard-pressed to say what went wrong here, except that 
it just feels as if um you know peel's involvement is very much front and center he is sort of the new rod serling figure who introduces and concludes every episode but it doesn't quite feel to me like he brought um uh, the full uh, fascination of his ability as an entertainer to this um the first episode uh, is about a comedian who is Mm. struggling for fame and uh, he finds out that whenever he mentions someone in his act they disappear and it's just bad and poorly filmed Uh, it's the kind of episode where there's a lot of stand-up that isn't funny but everyone is laughing at it and like you know i watched two seasons of the showtime series with a lot of bad (laughs) stand-up that was never funny and there was nobody laughing at it and at least that show had had 70s fashion then there's the plane episode where they remake nightmare at thirty thousand feet and it's just uh, kristen i'm i'm already struggling for words here this is such a disappointment it's It's such such a a disappointment i mean i loved the original twilight zone who who didn't and if you didn't like who are you and why are you listening to the show um that said and i was excited i love jordan peele i'm too much of a wuss to have seen us i've seen get out and i loved key and peele more than anything i loved it i loved it and i think he's brilliant um i just darren i just why 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 do it other than you can other than cbs has the rights because you know they they own the rights and they have this all access thing so fine uh they they need good content but i just there's some shows that very clearly are dependent upon the specific vision of one person you know you can't do twin peaks without david lynch you cannot do gilmore girls without amy sherman palladino just ask anyone who watched season seven of Gilmore Girls that did not have Amy Sherman Palladino. You can't do The Twilight Zone without Rod Serling. People have tried. They have failed. <laughs> I mean, the the movie, I actually enjoyed, yeah, I think I enjoyed about half, half of the movie, uh, the other half, but it was not great. But two of those stories, at least, right, were based on original uh, Twilight Zone stories from Rod Serling. I don't understand what Jordan Peele is trying to do with this and what he said in his interviews, uh, including in EW, is that he's trying to bring this this format and this property into the sort of social justice era. And a lot of these things do, a lot of the stories do sort of uh, talk about um, important, quote unquote, issues, capital I issues. The third episode called Replay, which is Sanaa Lathan, um, and she's a mom driving her son to college. And uh, she discovers that her old camcorder, you know, super old school handheld camcorder, it can rewind time. Okay, interesting idea. Uh, It comes in handy when they start encountering this sort of sinister cop who appears to be racist and then it just devolves into this clumsy and overwrought dissertation about race with these like heavy-handed metaphors and it's it could like it had me all the way through to the middle and then it just it just falls apart yeah that episode is is really i i I think that is the most telltale of the new season Uh, the rest truly are like trash um and that episode you know sanaa lathan is giving a really good really committed performance uh glenn fleshler who plays the cop is incredibly malevolent as he so often is although we're we're worth pointing out that he kind of painted in other colors when he was the uh comical crime boss goron on uh barry yes um but like that episode you know there's a dynamic and there's actually a scene between them that is really fascinating and then it it kind of becomes you know just using preachy is kind of too soft of of, of a pejorative you kind of feel like you're reading a a a lame op-ed in the new york times and it's it's sad because you know the original twilight zone i mean if you watched four of those episodes in a row they could certainly run run the gamut in quality yeah i mean like you know they were chugging out episodes back then and the ones that are incredible are as incredible as anything has ever been and there were ones that were bad and ones that were pre and ones that were sentimental um, but one thing about all of those is they were all pretty short yes uh, you know I think I think that uh, in, in the first three seasons it was all half hour episodes these episodes just feel a little flabby in the way oh that a lot God, of yes. you know, a, a lot of our kind of like you know blank check TV does now um, you know uh, the fourth episode which is almost the most fun just because it's so bananas um, that is one where it's almost like in a classic closed room mystery where you're up in 
this police station close to the North Pole. Greg Kinnear is the kind of uh, seemingly kind of kooky, racist, problematic sheriff. Um, there's the appearance of a mysterious person played by Stephen Young. Who is very handsome. And, who is who's handsome and who is really, really uh, great. And uh, if anyone saw him in, in the movie Burning last year, he's just someone who we need to be giving him all of the roles right now. Um, but it, it's the kind of it's kind of a simple story that you can see how it could have been a good Twilight Zone. It really is just like, who is this mystery man? And it just goes on and on. Oh and it's it, and the the tone of this show can't seem to decide whether it's going for horror, whether it's going for the kind of, you know, over the top American horror horror story comedy horror it just feels like it's 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 such a mess Kristen. it really I, is I, I think i i think it's it's sad because you know you kind of mentioned the twilight zone movie you know that was a something where there was a remake of nightmare and Thirty Thousand Three. that was one of the most iconic episodes of the original and in the movie they remade it and, and that movie's remake is pretty good it is. With like john lithgow and it's really fun and it just seems strange to kind of re-remake that episode and the way that they do it which involves a podcast that can predict the future like it's just like, and you know what feels very like back of the day i didn't hate that episode until the end again like th there's just no editing happening like the first episode with uh kamel nanjiani as the comedian like they for sure could have cut 28 minutes out of that episode for sure and not lost anything and then nightmare it's like they just let it go on they had a decent ending and then oh wait wait, wait no there's more and it's worse and it's just oh my god oh my god and and, and, and we have to say too Kristen. and you know if it sounds like we're being hard on this show it, it's because it, it's because like there are so many elements here that are not working so in that episode you know it's all about kind of being on a plane it's 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 kind a classic like in plane bottle episode yeah. and for some reason on this plane there are <laughs> cameras there are cameras in the cockpit it's as if like like in the cockpit someone has set up the like big brother camera angles on the pilots right and and that's playing on all the screens inside of the plane and, and you know the reason for that is so minor obvious spoiler alert when something crazy happens in the cockpit everyone in the plane can react to it but the whole time i was just like no plane has ever been like well, this. and also like and, did and, 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 did nine eleven not happen in this universe? Like it's sort know. of like hey uh, hey terrorists, let's you know here's everything that's happening in the cockpit right now. In the cockpit, so, this is literally yeah. Can you imagine? It just I, but but it's so bizarre, and it just feels like such a contrivance. Yes. you know, like it doesn't feel like something that is supposed to be weird. It feels as if you know it's the classic example of we need this to happen in Act Four. So, so how do we sort of justify that and Oh, it's, just, it's just it's just it's just a bummer. The whole thing is yeah. a bummer. I just I feel like they need to stop with the Twilight Zone remakes. Um, and, you know, Jordan Peele is the narrator in this, which is like, uh, I mean, it's hard. How do you it, he's fine, his, I guess. But yeah. he's just he's, his, his stuff. Did you think, Kristen, his role on the show it sums up for me what I think is hard about doing this, which is that like the Twilight Zone, you know, some of those originals are still just so fantastic. And yet the whole format of the Twilight Zone, because it is because it's been around longer than most of us, you know, there are parodies of the Twilight Zone that have their own like, you know, subculture now. And, you know, it seems strange to me to try and recreate this. You know, we're more used to the parody idea of a Rod right. Serling type introduction producing a show so whenever Jordan Peele appears and very often his introduction will happen like nine or ten minutes into the episode because the <laughs> prologues take forever um it's just it's it, it, it's too bad I, I I feel that um you know we live in this time where because there's so much television anyone who is at all successful will probably have like another project that they are working yeah. on that is their side project and I, I i get that feeling here with jordan peele i mean he's not the only executive producer there's also uh, simon kinberg who's kind of a hack and uh the, the uh I, I i saw one name in the credits uh, marco ramirez who was the showrunner of daredevil season two Ooh. and defenders so Ooh. that's two demerits right there so i just it just it feels like you know again there are some really fun actors that you're going to see on this show and really Greg Kinnear of all people gave a pretty delightful he performance in his episode yeah. so but I, I have to say this is this is sort of another example of you know listen 
everyone listening, we already have our CBS All Access account because we're all watching The Good Fight. Correct. So, like, you know, Correct. If, you, if, you, if you want to check out The Twilight Zone, uh, it did begin on April 1st. Um, and, you know, I'd love to hear what other people think about it. It may be that there are differing reactions to the show, but these first four episodes, Kristen, were definitely quite a letdown. Yeah, it was, I don't know, submitted for your approval, no more. No more, please. <laughs> it literally, it literally. There are a couple episodes that make the Nick, the uh, the uh, famous Nickelodeon uh, Snick show. <laughs> are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> Like, Are You Afraid of the Dark looks like an example of like gritty realism compared to a couple of these Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, it's it's grim. So, you know, just watch the original and then, you know, sign up for CBS All Access if you haven't already for The Good Fight. Good fight! The good fight! So let's move on to a happier note. Uh, our final show of the week is a certified treasure. On Sunday, March 31st, HBO's Veep returned for... Its final season, after a two-year absence, the Emmy-winning political satire follows blundering vice president and sort of accidental president Selena Meyer, played by Emmy magnet Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and her team of miserable accomplices as they attempt one last time to get her elected to the White House for real. So we've seen the first three episodes, which I loved. Selena is at her misanthropic, misogynistic best as she faces off against her presidential opponents, including her rival and former love interest Tom James, played by Hugh Laurie. Fantastic. As well as her <laughs> former underling turned, and I quote, one and done Congress tard, Jonah Ryan, played by Timothy Simons, who is brilliant as always. The ensemble is insanely good. Gary Cole, Anna Klumski, Sam Richardson, Reed Scott, Patton Oswald returns, and it is just brutally, brilliantly funny. I'm just going to quote one line uh, from episode three that really sums up the masterful way that showrunner David Mandel and his team balance vicious humor with social commentary. At one point, uh, Kevin Dunn's character says, ma'am, you're going to be drowning in money so dark it could get shot entering its own apartment. It's so brutal, but it's perfect. I love it. And if you've never watched, oh, my God, I am jealous. And I would love to go back and experience all six seasons again. Uh, it is so good. It's in its seventh and final season. Darren, I, I mean, who is your favorite member of Selena Meyer's team? Oh, uh, any time that Kevin Dunn and Gary Cole yes. are talking to each other. Uh, I mean, Gary Cole, who, by the way, is on The Good Fight yes. on CBS All Access. Um, but those two, for me, are like, um, they still get at something that I really loved about the show uh, throughout its run. And something that I worry has been a little bit lost, which is that like they just seem like they are the lifer political hacks yes. who are like the spine and nervous system and you know bloodless bleeding heart of Washington DC uh, and, and just their like their kind of dynamic is so great Kristen I, I have to admit um, Veep for me was a show that I kind of lost track of a little bit mm -hmm. uh, in its later seasons um, I was such a huge fan of it uh, when it was still um, uh, being run by uh, the great British writer Armando Iannucci um, and I actually well, when he left that was a bit of an exit ramp for me yeah. um, it, it was interesting to kind of uh, dive back into the show. I I, I watched it very casually um, in its later seasons, and one thing I really do admire about Veep is that, um, you know, w w it's funny to be, to be talking about this the same week to, uh, that we're talking about Killing Eve. Um, Veep is a show that has really successfully changed its core foundational narrative mm -hmm. on multiple occasions, um, while still really impressively staying true to its ensemble. It, it, it never, it, it's never really felt to me like this is a show where they are like stretching really hard to get everyone into a room. Right. It, it all seems to flow really effectively. This season, I'm really intrigued by um, the sort of real world parallel of kind of doing a, a campaign narrative right now. Um, I don't think it's like uh, going too far to say that um, what Selena Meyer is doing this season, it seems to me like it is meant to sort of um, connect to the, the slight clown car getting out feeling of watching the current... Yes. Uh, the current just gigantic lineup on the Democratic Party's list of presidential candidates, and and by the way, I don't mean clown car as a bad thing just, as an insult so much as so, so much as just like there's like thirty the of quantity them now, you know? they like, just keep yeah, they yeah, just keep coming. Of, 
in, in terms of the sheer quantity, um, and I do like that. I, I did find that a, a couple bits this season, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't all the way in on, and I, I wanted to know how you felt as someone who's kept up with it. Um, some of the Jonah stuff this season. <laughs> It's so it's, dumb. It's, it's so it, it's so over the top. Yeah. And, and it's one of these things where, you know, you, you do have to reorient yourself with political humor now because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, that would never happen. And then I'm like, what am I I'm saying? Cool. <laughs> of course it would happen. It might. It so, might. So it, it, it's not really a problem of, of, of realism. But I do feel like in general, the show is, to use a word from earlier uh, in our Killing Eve talk, it is a lot wackier now than it used to be. Yes. Is, is that kind of is, is, is that a fair thing to say, given kind of where it's come from? I mean, Jonah, played by Timothy Simons, has always been sort of the receptacle of the most brutal humor. I mean, one of the running things is just all the various ways that they've come up with to insult him over the years. Um, if you read Dan Snearson's cover story on EW.com, which is amazing, uh, the first couple graphs are all about them just flinging new insults at him and also realizing like, oh, well, I think we've already called him Godzilla's taint. So maybe <laughs> maybe it's time to wrap the show up. Um, so yes, he's definitely like the most outlandish and his storyline this season or multiple stories Lines. He's running for president because, like, why Everyone not? Is. Why Everyone not? Is. Kristen, uh, are you going to announce your candidacy? On this I know. <laughs> I may as well. And there's this ridiculous storyline where uh, he's married. <laughs> like, his marriage is, like, quasi-incestuous. I don't want to go into it more than that, but it's really ridiculous. And then there's also this other thing where people, uh, he starts his own sort of, or he accidentally becomes the impetus for a, a, a Me Too-like movement, but it's like the exact opposite of a Me Too movement. Yes. What I would say is that his stuff is silly and it it's borderlines, it's a borderline too silly. Sometimes that said, he, Tim Simons is so good and he's yeah. so funny as just, you know, the receiving end of these of these just vicious insults that I'm always fine with it. Like they don't they don't seem to me to be putting too much time with him. It's such a huge cast. Yeah. Uh, it's 10 series regulars and then a cast of thousands, uh, you know, sort of supporting. So you never really get stuck with any one person for too long. I'm not particularly interested, for example, in the Amy and Dan storyline, you know, as we learned last season, she's pregnant and it's his baby. It was a one night stand. And, you know, they can't even find the time to have a conversation about like, are we going to keep this baby or what? And, you know, it, it, I don't love that, but you don't ever spend any, you know, a significant amount of time with any particular character. So I think that's what helps the show work is that, you know, if you don't like one storyline, just wait two seconds, they'll be moving on to the next one. And in general, yeah. like these characters are so well done and so finely drawn and so brilliantly performed that um, even when it gets silly, I don't mind it. Yeah, I I, I wasn't all in with uh, these first three episodes of the season, but I will say that, um, you know, this is a seven episode season. Um, I feel like they're really kind of packing in a lot into this final act. And I, I am very intrigued that with Without spoiling anything plot-wise about where these first three episodes go, I, I find that the show's perspective on Selena is, for me, like the big, maybe thrilling question mark around this final season, because, you know... She has been an awful person. Yes. And, and that awfulness, the awfulness around her is something that's been like, you know, so wonderful and hilarious and cynical and truly acid about this show's perspective on American politics. There's a moment in the third episode where, and I, 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 I never really know how seriously to take the politics of the show because, you know, its version of politics is extremely lacerating to begin with. It almost seems like she could be becoming a bit of a Trump figure. Yeah. And not in a way that I was expecting, but just I, I, I'm really fascinated to see how, you know, this is a show that to a certain extent, it's escapism because it is set in a world where Donald Trump has not obviously been president. Yes. Um, he doesn't even I'm, exist as far as He doesn't as even exist. Know. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the timeline seems to sort of branch off somewhere in the late 2000s. Uh, yes. I've, I've, done, I've done lots of reddits on this, Kristen. But um, I, I am, I, I'm really fascinated 
complicated. I, I think that, you know, there's this interesting tension going into these last episodes around, you know, what happens to her in this campaign and, you know, what does that kind of mean for the show's overall perspective on itself? And I just think that, you know, for a show that has been one of the real defining aspects of this decade on, on television, I'm really intrigued to see where that goes. Well, and I also love that, you know, in her last sort of desperate run for president, she's more and more uh, just sort of disowning her womanhood. Um, You know, she says things like, I'm stuck here with my dick in my hand in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which she's always done. But you see that in, I believe it's in the third episode, her campaign gets a real boost when she essentially um, yells at another female candidate and tells her to man up. Yes. She says, I'm sick of hearing you whine about how hard it is to be a woman. It's time for you to man up. And it's such an interesting idea that the that this first female president in this universe, the only way she's truly going to get people to accept her is if, you know, she basically rejects her gender. Yeah. And that's oh, I mean, like that 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 is the scene where I just I think that the show does really have that ability to, you know, for, for all the wacky, crazy lines and things thrown yes. at Jonah. That was a that for me was a vintage Veep moment of like, oh God, like I have to go take a shower now. And yeah, and, and, and that was when she starts getting traction in her campaign. So I'm really interested to see how they play that out uh in this final season. Um but definitely go on EW.com and read Dan's coverage. Dan Snearson was on set for uh, the final episode and he has a great story and uh, he's also going to be posting uh, if he hasn't already a list of every insult that was ever thrown at Jonah which <laughs> honestly it's so good I mean nothing will anything ever top Jolly Green Jizz Face who knows <laughs> who knows you'll have to tune in and find out uh, so Veep airs Sundays at 1030 on HBO Okay, Darren, coming up after the break, we're going to have your conversation with Superstore Superstar America Ferreira. Spring has officially sprung, and if you're like me, you're looking at your closet going, ugh, I hate all my clothes. Fortunately, guys, there's Mod Cloth. At Mod Cloth, there's no such thing as an ordinary outfit. Crafted by a team of in house designers, their signature styles include hand-drawn prints, standout silhouettes, and an inclusive size range that celebrates all women. So I'm looking at Mod Cloth right now, and there's so many cute clothes. I'm really excited to sort of beef up my spring wardrobe. They've got everything, beach day or vacation. You can get your perfect swimsuit in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. If you're getting married, Mod Cloth's bridal boutique will have you falling in love with its assortment of wedding gowns, guest of looks, and bridesmaid approved dresses. Actually, a bridesmaid dress that you will want to wear again. Shocker. And Mod Cloth believes that fashion should celebrate all women. That's why they're expanding their size range from 00 to 28. And if you have a question about fit, because as we all know, shopping online, it can be hard to tell, is this going to fit me or is it going to you know, be way too small and then I'm going to have to mail it back? It's a whole pain. But their team of mod stylists can hook you up with complimentary sizing and styling help. Seriously, I'm going to bookmark pretty much zillion things on this site. I want this Brighten Up Rainbow sweatshirt. It's adorable. This cozy, creative knit top. There's a Wonder Woman sweatshirt and all sorts of things for spring. And they've got jeans and they have a perfect sort of tutorial about how to measure so you get the right size. It's a website that really can solve all your shopping needs, especially if you're somebody who really doesn't enjoy going to the stores and shopping in person. That's like, nobody likes that. Let's just do it online in the comfort of our own home. So you should check out modcloth.com and to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, just go to modcloth.com, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com and enter code EWBEST at checkout. This offer is valid for one-time use only and expires on July 6, 2019. So to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code EWBEST at checkout. I'm very excited to introduce this week's guest on Best of Shows. Uh, we're on the phone with America Ferreira, the star of NBC's Superstore, one of my favorite shows on television. Uh, she starred in so many great films and TV projects before, and we're very excited to uh, be on the phone with her. Uh, America Ferreira, uh, welcome to Best of Shows. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
I have so many questions about this season of Superstore. I think it's just been it's so spectacular. And for a show that was already very good, I think that um, what the show has been doing and specifically the journey of Amy this season uh, has been really, really interesting. Um, there was a fantastic episode earlier in the season that focused in just so much, not just on uh, her pregnancy, but specifically on um, her struggles with maternity leave or rather the lack thereof. Um, and I just think that this is the only show I know that can tackle something like that that is so real and make it really funny but also very sincere um, what's it been like sort of tracking Amy's journey this season there's been so much kind of truly transformative for her yeah thank you I I agree it's been a really really fun season for Amy's um, arc and character growth and development and um, and, and it's been surprising um, you know, her pregnancy was accidental at the end of <laughs> last season and uh, presented, you know, traditionally most people just expected it to be um, an obstacle for her relationship with Jonah because that's been a sort of will they, won't they from the beginning. Um, but but it wasn't that at all. It, um, in fact, we came back this season and, and revealed that Amy and Jonah um, have been hanging out and and for all intents and purposes are together um, in this kind of grown-up way that, you know, each episode doesn't focus on their relationship dramas um, and their dynamic remains mostly unchanged uh, in terms of how they are with each other and how they talk to each other, which I think is the fun of their dynamic and no one would really want to see them turn into some sort of saccharine couple. <laughs> that always felt really wrong to all of us. Um, and really what the what the pregnancy allowed and afforded for this season was uh, incredible exploration of 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 a woman trying to uh, to balance working and motherhood and and also something new for Amy, which is trying to uh, achieve more in her career, which has has never been a a real part of her journey. She's worked at Cloud Nine for fifteen years, has sort of um, accepted. You know, when we started the series, she was a character who really sort of was fine with the way her life was. You know, it wasn't the best of circumstances, but she was where she was, and she was sort of accepting of it and making the best of it, and didn't really expect great things to happen to her, which was a very, very different stance from Jonah, who came in expecting that great things would happen every day because <laughs> life is beautiful. Um, and that was always the, the rub between the two of them was their, their very different outlooks on life and, and what they expected from it. And, you know, as the seasons have gone on, they've definitely had an impact on one another and, and we definitely see this season how Jonah's how Jonah ha helps Amy see that that maybe there is something more for her career-wise, self-fulfillment-wise, work-wise, and he's a big part of encouraging her to to ask for more and and seek out more at the same time that um, that she's becoming a mother again and adding even more responsibilities and um, more sort of uh, unplanned uh, for life circumstances on her plate. So, so it, it allowed us to really explore the complexity of, 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 trying to, of this woman trying to balance all of those things. And, and the maternity leave episode um, was absolutely one of my favorite episodes uh, for Amy for the whole, se for the whole series, actually. Yeah, I, I'd love to know, um, one of the things that I just love about this show is its ability to tackle these issues that in a lot of ways, I, I, I think sitcoms generally don't tackle because it, there's kind of the fear that it's not going to be funny or it's not going to be lighthearted. And in that episode, especially, I thought your performance was so great because, you know, it, it was very funny and amusing. And yet it, it felt as if, you know, there was the real, you know, sincere tragedy of of Amy having to go back to work, I think it was two days after she gave birth. Um, what are some of the challenges of of, of, of kind of balancing that all, all in one performance in a you know in, in the context of a network sitcom? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, that all that credit goes to our incredible writers, you know, our creator, Justin Spitzer, and, and then all the amazing writers in the writer's room. And that episode in particular was written by one of our writers, Jackie Clark, who herself um, is a mother of two. Actually, in our first season, she was having her second child. She was pregnant for most of our first season and then had her child and then came back when she was breastfeeding. And, and I had had my son... 10 weeks before we started this fourth season. So she and I, you know, really um, had so much to talk about in terms of of that experience. And yes, the the insanity of it, the just how 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 challenging it is to um, come back to work after having a child and um, even even under the best circumstances, even when you have all the help and all the privileges, it's a challenge, never mind when you're you know, a uh, uh, working, uh, you know, mother in a in a big box store and you don't get maternity leave and you're getting paid, you know, maybe just above minimum wage. Um, uh, so we had a lot of our own personal experiences to infuse that episode with. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jackie was exactly the perfect writer and she directed the episode writer and director for that episode um and again like i said i'd had my son 10 weeks before and had just come back to work and i was breastfeeding and pumping and and doing a you know a million new things as a mom who was trying to both work and be a mom that it was right there on the surface for Mm -hmm. for me and for her because they were our experiences so it it felt really really great actually to um to not to not just find the funny in it but but to to get to um portray the experience and some of its really harsh realities and and i really appreciated the feedback from our audiences um you know on social media and and just so many of their comments were about how you know, they were laughing until they were crying, and then they didn't know if they, you know, they didn't know which way to feel about it, whether to laugh uh-huh. about it or cry more about it. And and I think that's the, I think that is the magic of our show and the possibility of a show that does dare to um, portray very real topics and issues. And, you know, we couldn't do any of it without writers who were, skilled enough, talented enough to make those topics funny, Justin Spitzer, our creator, always says, you know, he won't tackle a subject that he can't make funny because that mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, our show is is meant to entertain. And any, any message or issue that is infused in the show um, has to be funny. It has to be able to exist in in the comedic world and within the relationships that we've already established and set up. Yeah. Well, what you're describing, I, I would really describe it as uh, very cathartic in a way. Um, and, and there have been a lot of kind of m- moments like that this season. Um, you know, it's funny, my my wife and I right now, we're kind of in the midst of trying to plan for some upcoming, uh, you know, family leave. Uh, our son is due in early July. And I, I kind of feel like I, I think that I'm like a lot of uh, pretty stupid people in that I had never really thought about leave, maternity leave, uh, you know, parental leave any of that before suddenly it's happening to me and i find that as a result i've been thinking a lot about amy's stuff earlier this season and a lot about you know her reactions to it and and, and her struggles that are so particular to her and yet also really very uh, universal um i'd love to know um when you signed on for the show what was part of the promise of it that it would sort of be this venue for exploring this stuff for for the kind of laugh till you cry uh subject matter that's become really central to uh, to, to the show Absolutely. I mean, for me, from the very beginning, the promise of the show was that, you know, we were setting it among a a family of everyday working class Americans who's, as funny as we made it, the premise of the show was people who are, you know, paid minimum wage in a massive you know, corporate structure that ultimately doesn't care about them as individuals. 
And I think the setup and the premise to begin with was pretty subversive and and promising that 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 reality would shine through. You know, if we it sort of feels like in this day and age, like to try and tell this story uh, of these of of this class of Americans without uh, without being honest about the 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 true nature of of being a retail worker for a massive corporation, I think it would just feel so false. I don't know that that audiences today would be able to relate to that if we mm-hmm. pretended like that was a happy-go-lucky world and this was just about you know people finding love and friendship. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that the, the honesty that. Justin has always approached this world with has always been the appeal and the promise that if you stick around, if you invest in this world and you invest in these characters, you'll be rewarded with truth and with honesty about uh, about the world we're actually living in. And hopefully mm-hmm. it will always be funny um, and with the occasional, you know, uh, sting of, of truth and reality that, that mm-hmm. can be funny and um, harsh at the same time. And yeah, I definitely feel like this season we have, um, we've since because of all the groundwork with the characters and the relationships that we've laid in the previous seasons, we really got to do a little bit more of that and, and dig in and, and the rest of the season promises to deliver on that as well. I'm so excited about where the season goes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, you kind of mentioned just the 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 family of characters on the show. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, just the ensemble because, um, you know, the scenes in the break room where there's just these lines pinballing off of everybody. I I I I really just am kind of on the floor sometimes. Um, what's it kind of been like, uh, you know, as an ensemble developing and evolving to the fourth season? Um, you know, what's the kind of shorthand like now? Oh, it's so fun. It's, you know, I think it's really grown organically. Um, Again, the credit goes to Justin and our writers who, you know, we've, like, like say, Coleco, who plays Sandra, she came in um, the, our, the first episode after our pilot, but she was just a character that had one line um, in the second episode of the first season. And, You know, I think that they kind of planted a lot of those seeds and they would just pay attention for the characters that popped, the actors that really found an an interesting dynamic with the other characters, and they would write towards those um, characters when they felt organic to the world and like they were adding a whole different perspective to the conversation because that's really the opportunity. I think that's what people respond to in our break room scenes, which are hilarious. And, you know, I have to watch several times because I'm laughing so hard. I missed a lot of the jokes, but um, I think the what people are responding to there is how different and unique and fully um fully committed each character is to their perspective and 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 that only happens with diversity of perspective diversity of character you know when we talk about diversity we always you know we talk about it as like this the right thing to do but i think our show is proof that that it's just better storytelling mm-hmm. when you have more perspectives you get to be more complex. You have more to draw from. You have uh, more possibility in what you can talk about, what you can explore, and which perspectives are represented versus, you know, the same kinds of people talking about people who are never in the room. Um, so, so that that cast of characters has um, grown and expanded very organically and you know Sandra had one line and then the writers realized this is an incredible character and they just kept giving her more Marcus you know came in for one bit um, in an episode and they just kept writing towards that character you know Carol Justine um, Saeed who's new to this season uh, Jeff uh, Michael Bunin's character you know these are all characters that um you know, I think I think we're just seeds of ideas, and then it was the combination of the character and the actor and the dynamic that they brought that the writers 
either spark to and write towards or not. And they have mm-hmm. been so smart about which characters to develop. And now we have this fabulously expansive cast where everybody has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you sort of mentioned uh, one thing that I've really enjoyed about uh, this season earlier, uh, which is that, you know, you've had this kind of Amy Jonah dynamic as a will they or won't they. And just everything the show's done with it feels really unique and eccentric and, and you know, kind of the opposite of, of, of the cliches that you associate with that. Um, the episode that uh, just aired uh, as a typical example, there's a scene where the two characters, you know, they say that they love each other to each other in the midst of an argument. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and it just—I I just love how th- there's such a great feeling that you know the, the, these moments for them as a couple always feel very earned and very original in a way. Uh, uh, what's it been like, sort of developing this phase of the relationship with uh, Ben Feldman? It's been great. It's been really, really great, and it has been an evolution. You know, I think in the very beginning, in my conversations with Justin, I. I was very clear with him. I wasn't interested in playing a character whose journey is about, you know, finding the right guy, you know, to make her life better. Um, and that, and that it was, that that wasn't interesting to me. Um, and it didn't make a, a whole character and a whole character journey worth, uh, playing and worth watching. In my opinion, um, I wanted to be able to play a character who, who had a, a flushed out journey that was about, you know, her own individual identity. And if love and a relationship and, and maybe not even a romantic relationship, because we didn't know in the beginning whether Amy and Jonah were going to be a romantic relationship, um, that, that if that was going to be there, that it would be one element of the character development, not the whole thing. And Justin really agreed and never felt like, like that's what he wanted for Amy and Jonah, and that, or that that's what he wanted for the show. So it's been really nice to get to um, have a, a dynamic between these characters, um, Jonah and Amy, that can stand outside of you know the romantic storyline of the week. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know that the that the Amy Jonah shippers get really frustrated when. when when, um, you know, we haven't given enough attention to the Amy Jonah love story. But what I love about Amy and Jonah is that their relationship can stand on its own two feet outside of just two people who are romantically involved with each other. Mm-hmm. They have interesting conversations. They have interesting perspectives. They often take different sides in the conversation. And you can see how they've developed each other as characters, how they've pushed each other along in their journey um, outside of just being romantically involved. Um, and, and I think it, it, it forces us to um, be more thoughtful about how we're evolving the character because it isn't just about, okay, what's the next relationship milestone for Amy and Jonah? It's, it's what's the next way that these two characters are challenging each other and still being interesting foils to one another in the grander scheme of things, not just, you know, are they happy together or not happy together? So many congratulations on the fact that Superstore was renewed for a fifth season. Um, I was ecstatic to hear about that. I'll, I'll be honest, I'd I'd been a little anxious only because there was the long break this season, um, and I'm so glad. I, and I'm so glad that it's coming back. You know, was that something? Were you guys feeling like it was definitely going to happen? What was the sort of feeling about the fifth season before the renewal notice came through? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because audiences are so savvy now. You know, the fact that I remember growing up watching TV and not thinking like my favorite show is going to get canceled. Like I better go on cancel bear and find out if like, you know, Fresh Prince is coming back. Like I didn't have that savvy. I don't think audiences and viewers had that savvy, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago. Um, but now it's like, Oh no, um, superstore has been put on a hiatus. What does that mean about the show? And there's sort of what is going on. And then the perception of what's going on and then and then you know how that impacts how people watch the show or if people watch the show that's what's very different about tv now than you know when i was on ugly betty um i don't think we were ever concerned i think you know we know the network loves our show values our show um but again the way people watch tv is so different now that the network knows okay well 
we can not air this show for, you know, two months and and the people who love the show will come back mm-hmm. and it's time for other people to catch up on the, you know, 60 episodes that are up online on Hulu. And, uh-huh. um, you know, not to say that there isn't an impact of, like, not um, giving new content, but in this day and age where, you know, we'll sit around and wait a year and a half for new episodes of a show, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it really has changed the way that... Um, I think the way distributors think about the content and, and the and the schedules they put them out on um, and, and even how many they're making. Um, you know, it's so we've made 22 episodes for the last three seasons, which is incredibly rare these days for any TV show. Um, and and I think that, you know, that's a that is also a format that feels like it's on its way out that, you know, creatively and business model wise, everyone seems to be veering towards this sort of 10 to 12 to 13 episode model. Um, and that the, you know, for whatever reason, that's the, um, that's the trend. So Mm -hmm. it just feels like things are changing so rapidly around television and the way people engage with television that it's hard to know what anything means anymore. Yeah. This is what I always tell people is there are shows that haven't aired 22 episodes in the last four years and you guys are airing that are airing that much every season, which I always just think is so wonderful. Um, America, uh, we like to ask everyone uh, who comes on our show two questions. First of all, um, what was the first TV show that you ever loved or the first TV show you recall being really um, obsessed with? I think I can remember watching episodes of I Love Lucy before anything else. And I remember being, this is this is silly, but I was young, so it's not that embarrassing. I remember being so confused about how when I watched the same episode twice, how the actors did it exactly the same way. <laughs> because in my mind, I was watching I Love Lucy like live, and they were in my television set and they were doing this for me so when i'd be like oh my gosh she did that exactly the same way she did it the last time i saw this episode it was very confusing to me oh god yeah yeah that that, that must have been really uh, uh extra impressive in some of the more kind of physical comedy centric episodes like wow they, they did that pratfall uh, twice the same way i know well, i had no idea that i wasn't watching i love lucy live like i love lucy was my like she was my contemporary. The other question that we like to ask people is, um, you know, and uh, and admittedly, very often when you're making television, it's hard to find the time. But uh, are there any other TV shows that you're watching right now that you really love? Or is there a TV show that you've gotten into recently that you really uh, uh, have have uh, enjoyed watching? Yes, I love this question. And before I answer it, I just wanted to share that when I was on Ugly Betty, which, you know, to be the title character of a one hour drama where you are literally making double the content, you know, instead of each episode is 46 minutes instead of 22 minutes. It's, it's really twice the work. Um, it was exhausting and I couldn't do anything but work. Um, and so I stopped watching television and I remember when the show ended and I had time to watch TV again, I swore to myself that the next time I was making television, I would make time to watch television because being a viewer reminded me how magical the experience is for the viewer, for the fan who loves that world and loves those characters. You know, how special it is to come back to the show and spend time with those characters you love. And I had sort of lost touch with that when I was on Ugly Betty because I stopped watching TV. And so I promised myself that, that the next time I made a TV show, I would keep watching TV. So, so yes, I do watch TV for very intentional reasons. And, you know, the shows that I that I'm loving right now. I mean, yes, I'm a Game of Thrones fan. Love Game of Thrones. Um, I I really enjoy Insecure a lot. Um, uh, and uh, I loved The Crown. Really, really mm-hmm. waiting with bated breath for the next um, season of The Crown. Um, 
and and so many others, but those are the ones that are popping into my head right now. Uh, yeah, uh, Insecure is uh, that's really become uh, one of my favorites too. And last year when they did the Coachella episode, I just thought that was one of the greatest things that had ever happened on television. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's just fun and original and so exciting to see such an original voice, you know, something that doesn't feel like we've seen it a million times. America, uh, I'd love to know, besides Superstore, which uh, is currently airing Thursdays at 8 on NBC, um, is there anything else that you have coming up or any other projects? Are, are you still working on the Netflix series uh, Hentified? Um, I'm executive producing the 10-episode uh, series for Netflix. Um, we made the web series three years ago, and we're, we're about to go into production in a couple weeks, which is a huge culmination. And I am so excited that I'm directing two of the 10 episodes. So that's really exciting. So I can't wait for Hentified to be um, out there for everybody to, to finally get to see what we've been working on for so long. Anything you can tease us about what's to come uh, uh, on Superstore? Uh, we, we've kind of seen Amy is continuing this journey uh, towards hope, towards a wanting to um, become a manager. Uh, how does that and how does everything kind of play out as the season? Uh, um, uh, well, I don't uh, want to, I don't want to, you know, give any spoilers, obviously, but um, that story continues to progress. And let's just say nothing's, Nothing's ever easy for Amy, and we can assume that that continues. <laughs> um, but but I will. I don't really don't want to give anything away about the finale. But we, you know, we just wrapped the season a couple days ago. Last on Friday, we wrapped season four. Um, last Friday, oh my God, I have no idea what day it is today. Last Friday, a week ago, we wrapped season four, um, and the finale is really. Awesome. I feel like our writers have always delivered on really great finales each season, and this uh, season is is maybe one of my favorite, maybe my favorite so far. Uh -huh. Fantastic. Uh, America Ferreira, thank you so much for being with us here on uh, Best of Shows this week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That wraps it up for this week on EW's Best of Shows. Thank you again so much to our guest, America Ferreira, for speaking to us. Uh, thank you to my brilliant colleague, Kristen Baldwin, for speaking to me every week, even when we're not recording this show, by the way. We just chit-chat. Um, everybody listening out there, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're critics, so we love to get reviews of ourselves. And uh, if you like what you've heard, then definitely uh, go to wherever you find your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Stitcher. Uh, you know, give us a rating give us a review let us know what you think um, if you want to continue the conversation we are on Twitter she's at Kristen G Baldwin I'm at Darren Franich we'll be back next week I should have a catchphrase but I don't so goodbye <laughs>